I shut the radio off and they walked right by us. I wanted to pull the trigger, but I knew if I did, my men wouldn't have made it. Didn't really matter to me anymore because I, I was a different person. Vietnam left Sonny Zanchevich with deep, lasting scars, both physical and mental. A sergeant in the 7th Cavalry Regiment, Sonny was in the midst of fierce combat so frequently he figured he'd never make it home. From so many horrors witnessed, he withdrew into himself, stopped writing letters home, even to his mom, who at one point feared her son must be dead. A Red Cross team was dispatched to his unit to see if Sonny was still alive. He was, though three times he nearly died from wounds that tore out some of his teeth and badly crippled his right arm. Sonny lost a lot in the jungles of Vietnam, but one thing he never lost was his sense of responsibility for the men under his command. Keeping them as safe as possible was his driving force. His bravery on the battlefield earned Sonny Zanchevich three bronze stars and a plethora of other medals, including three purple hearts. Sonny cared not about the medals, but several years ago, at the urging of his wife, son, and others, Sonny put together the documentation for them. You might be surprised at how they arrived at the front door of his Romeoville home. Here is Sonny's story. I just never thought about it. I knew about the war and everything, but, you know, and I, I seen a lot of people go that never came back or they came back and they said it was terrible or some guys came back were wounded, you know, and, but never thought about, I'm going to go. So you go down to the draft center and you take a test, preliminary test, and then they give you some more tests. Do you come back another time for further? Yeah, they sent me a letter to come back the second time. I went home and they said, okay, and then they sent me a letter for the third time. But that time when I went in there, they gave me a brown envelope and they read off some numbers to the group I was with and said, you guys are going to be infantry, just like that. And so, <laughs> What were you thinking when they said you're going to be infantry? And did you know then you were going to be bound for Vietnam? I really didn't, you know, because my brother was stationed in Germany and the other brother was in the Navy, so. There's another group at the draft center, and you mentioned that an officer comes in and says, first row, stand up and come with me. Right. And they all became? Marines. And they didn't know they were going to be Marines. Well, I was in the second row. Only thing is, they had guys there dressed as Army. And then when that door opened up, these guys came in. There was a guy sitting next to me that knew about the military more than me and said, those guys are Marines. And they went in that room, and they were sworn in as Marines. So off they go. Off they go. And then you guys are all together, and you were taken away by bus immediately? Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any time to go home and get gear and whatever you needed? Nope. We didn't even take inspection and said, we're going to take you someplace to get your third physical or something. And we went out there and put us in a bus and went right to Leonardwood, Missouri. <laughs> Did you get any chance to say goodbye to family? No, or? guys 
guys were actually crying. Guys got violent almost, but there was military guys on there and said, sit down and, you know, MPs. But at that point, you did not know that you were going to be driven off in a bus to Fort Leonard Wood to begin your no, basic. No, no. Did you get in touch with your family to let them know that I'm going to be in Missouri for a while? It, yeah, I I called uh, my ma and told her I'm in Missouri. And she said, what are you doing there? <laughs> Uh, you know, I says, well, the military sent me here. She says, for a third physical, they sent you there? Because when I came there, that's what I was going to get, you know. But we never got no physical. We went. You're in. We're in. You do your basic at Leonard Wood, and then you go to Fort Polk. Fort Polk, Louisiana, Tigerland. That's where... Jungle training. Just strictly jungle training. And do you know then that you are certainly going to go to Vietnam? Or did you still have some doubt? Well, the the people that were training us were former people that were in the infantry maybe three times. They went over three times. So they they told us we're all going to be in the jungles. We're going to be fighting. If you think this is a joke, you probably won't come back. So you better learn what we're teaching you because it's going to save your life or your buddy's life. They were no fun, but they were really serious, really serious. So you got some decent instruction. You had a reality check then. Yeah, these people weren't really nice to us. They were, you know, rough. (laughs) Well, you're going to go to war, so it's probably a good thing. So you go to Vietnam. What's your arrival like? What are you thinking when you're flying into Vietnam? I landed at a pretty big base, and there was a lot of people walking around and, and you know, jeeps running around, trucks, and it seemed like, okay, this is, you know, this is not bad. And, and then they they put me in a, a big, t- big green tent. I was there for three days, and they said, okay, and... That morning, he took me to a place, gave me rifles, ammo, everything, and took me out to the launch pad and sent me right out to the field and got off there, and here's all these veterans that have been out there, you know. So I was a replacement then because they just lost a bunch of guys. So so did you know what you were getting into then as a replacement? Did the, the, did the guys who were leaving say, give you any advice? This yeah, is what you're going to be really. dealing with? The guys, guys in the rear just said, you, you know, you're going out to the field. That's what they tell you. Your 7th Cavalry Regiment. Yeah, that was it, and you went out there. So your first mission in the field, what was that like? Do you remember it? <sighs> I couldn't believe how much I was sweating, how, how humidity. It, uh, it was almost exhausting, you know, and in the pack you were carrying... You know, they, everybody had to carry 200 rounds of 60 rounds. And then because we were, they were in so much combat, everybody on the bottom of their pack had to carry a, a full mortar. And then C4, Claymore Mines, and all this stuff. I weighed maybe 160. The pack weighed probably 100, you know. It was, and then the, just the jungle being so thick and, I was like, this is this is hell. <laughs> so they're flying you in on helicopters then, for the for the most part, right? That's how you're getting to 
landing zones in the jungle? Well, yeah. We, we, they would drop us off, but we would be out there maybe a month or so. We cut a LZ, uh, like every second day or something. We cut a place where the helicopters, we found them in the jungles, which was hard. And then the helicopters would bring us sea rations and more ammo. You saw combat almost on a constant basis in your unit, didn't you? Like every I didn't realize it at the time, but yeah, I seen. And, and if they seen someplace else where the enemy was, we, we, we were always packing up and going someplace. All of a sudden it started again, so. <laughs> like every three days, I think you said? About, I would say three days to five days. Some days it'd be eight days, you know, but and and then we would meet other, we would hook up with other outfits and like at a uh, a fire base or something, and they you would see the way they would just be in the jungles and they'd be there for weeks at a time. Did Did you think you were going to make it out of there? No, I knew I wouldn't. I after a while, I I knew I wouldn't. It was just because of the the men and you you know you, a man get killed and it's over for him and guy get wounded he he's going home you know just kept losing guys you know more guys got killed than wounded at those times and it was just you just wondered how you're gonna get it. As going home, I quit writing. Uh, I didn't want no contact with people. Would get letters and read them and, and tell you about, oh, you know, my sister, my mother, and my girlfriend or something. And then you're looking at him and he's laying there, gone. And so I just retreated into not writing. I didn't want to hear about nobody's family and I just I just wanted I get I don't know you, you isolated yourself I, I I fought I started not being in a firefight I fought because I, I wanted to kill him that was my attitude so I was really really serious <laughs> You're doing everything you can to survive. Do you realize what's happening to you, to your psyche? No. I want to no. kill them. No. It, it was when we would come into the rear, sometimes they would, like, like say, Quan Lai, which is a bigger base, and, that, and they would have uh, a place where you can go eat and take a shower and get clean clothes before you go back out. We always had a steel pot with us, our, our helmet. But we wore like a beret, like a black beret, too, or a jungle hat, I mean. But we always had it because of the stratnoid when the bombs were coming a lot. And every place we would go, we had to carry our steel pot. Every place. People, the MPs, the people on the base didn't want to socialize with you. They didn't, they were like, you because were, like, you're you were like taboo. Man. You were taboo. Be- Really? Because you were out there killing people, and they didn't, you know. 
That's further reason to isolate yourself, isn't it? I mean, yeah, between them and you, that that was that was a kind of a crazy part of it. How do you keep your head straight during all this? How can you? How do you function? You know what? It's you. You get to the point where you you don't think about functioning. You just do what you have to. Every situation is different. Uh, Every time you're being shot at, either the bullets are coming from that way, this way, or you don't know where they're coming from, or they're high, they're low, and you judge. And then as you're in that firefight, you're hearing at the same time the thump of the mortars, of them with the mortars. Well, the first one is you know it's coming down, but you're waiting in your mind for the second one. Because where the second one hits, that's the way they're walking them across you. So now you gotta either split your guys because you know they're walking them in a line. They they don't fire a random too much. So then the third one's coming, the fourth, fifth, you know, and so it, it's just you. That's your job, and you function, and you didn't think about it, you know. You really think only about surviving. That's how it was, yeah. Like I say, I withdraw it a lot. And one time I, I got a, uh, we were someplace and some people came up from the Red Cross and wanted to talk to the, to the outfit I was with. They gave them my name to see if I was alive or dead because nobody in the world, we called them America, the world. They didn't know if I was dead or alive because they were sending stuff to the Red Cross, so I was never answering them. I withdrawed from everybody. Even your mom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe she contacted the Red Cross? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they wanted to find out if you were still among the living? Yeah, she went to some politicians, and they set her up to go to the Red Cross, and the Red Cross got a hold of the people, so they came, and asked me my name and everything to verify and that. And, and they gave me information to the address to write back and everything. Yeah, did, and, they, did they plea with you to write back? Yeah, they and, were very nice. But, you know, I just, I just looked at them, you know, because these, these people weren't in my world, you know. It, it just wasn't in my and, world. And you continue to be withdrawn. You, you right, right. But they did know I was alive. At least they know you're alive. That's the way it was. So you're there in the fall of 67 and you're there for a few months and all of a sudden Tet happens and you're in the field and you find yourself I had, we had no idea what Tet was all we knew was this Chinese uh, New Year's when they started saying it's going to be Tet pretty soon and they're going to try to get Saigon they would tell us but we, a lot of movement a lot of movement at night a lot of movement uh, we didn't make contact with because, you know, we were out on patrol. And I take guys out on patrol, it'd be like 
12 guys, you know, and, and you see 200 of them, you can't make contact. Just wouldn't be a matter of time. You, you, and they and they were on the move, so they didn't they didn't want prisoners. Even if you were wounded, you knew what was going to happen. They were just going to get rid of you. So you you know sometimes you got a radio and you would radio in and try to call support in on them, cannons, jets, whatever you could. Yeah, and that that was pretty hairy. I told everybody there was real thick, uh, they call them elephant leaves, plants, and they're really, you can't see, you know. And get underneath there, and I shut the radio off, and they walked right by us. That was, I wanted to pull the trigger, but I knew if I did, my men wouldn't have made it, you know. Didn't really matter to me anymore. But that was hard for me not to, not to pull the trigger. I remember that because I, I was a different person. So, but I knew the good of my men, you know. So, you're a sergeant at that point in time, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, how many guys under your command? There was forty guys in a platoon. There's four platoons. So I was the sergeant then of them. But when I went out on patrols, I would take 10 guys with me, a radio guy, and it, it, we were basically uh, 12 guys at a time. So as the sergeant, you're the one who issues the order, don't shoot, even though you really want to. Right, right. But you know that had to be difficult for you at that point right. in time. Did your men say to you, uh, thanks, Sarge? for keeping us alive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I believe it or not, it was funny, but there was other guys in different platoons in that that wanted to be transferred with me because we were in so much stuff, but I lost less guys than other guys. And I was, yeah, I was a sergeant, but it wasn't, we, we never looked at it that way. We just said, you know, Joe's in charge. So what he says goes. There's no questions because you, you, you question stuff and you're in big trouble. Were there other close calls during Tet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing was, the way, the way the NBA soldiers work, they're very good. They're very smart. They're trained really good. But when you get in a firefight with them, they take like 10 guys and they'll send them to the left and right and then have them run as fast as they can or get you to jungles and come and get you from behind or in the sides. And they would do it all the time. A lot of these guys didn't realize they would do that. But now you're boxed in. or That's why a lot of people that were in charge, especially... I don't want to say OCS, you know, but a lot of the lieutenants came and, and guys, captains came from uh, West Point. And they're very, very smart, but in the jungles, it's that's why they call it jungle fighting. They, they Those people live out there, you know, they don't go home. You catch somebody sometime and he ain't been home in two years, you know, or lived, lived out there. He, 
You were wounded three times. Mm-hmm. First time, what happened? First time I I got hit in the elbow. I'm pretty sure it was an RPG rocket. It hit, was in the firefight, and it hit me in the elbow, and then a piece of stratinol. It was pretty, maybe one inch or so, and I reached and ripped it out of my elbow, and then I couldn't get rid of it. My fingers melted to it because <laughs> it was so hot. So then I, I just took my other hand and ripped my fingers apart and continued in the battle, but that was the first time. And did you get medical treatment then afterwards? Did they fly you back to wherever you needed to be? Yeah, they did. But that was later because you, you want to take care of the people that are more wounded, you know. But then you go right back into battle after you're, you were patched up the first time, right? Yeah. I think I went in about three days after that. I went in and they put some stitches in there and that. And then I was probably... a day and a half, maybe two days, but it's not in the rear. It's in a base where they have... You're a, up front. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like MASH? Yeah. That's for real. Second time you got hit, what happened then? Second time was in a firefight, and I, I, I was hollering at the guys for something, and it, it was like, I don't know, like you closed your eyes and a guy punched you in the face. It spun me into the ground. My lips were burning like crazy, and I grabbed my lips, and there was blood in that, and my front teeth were gone. <laughs> so the bullet crosses your mouth, yeah, takes out your teeth, yeah, top your front top, your yeah. choppers, yeah, and didn't it just burned my lips and never did nothing. It was that was one time, so but it just kept going and going and going, and then went in the rear and they put some kind of pins in my mouth back then even and like screws or something put two teeth on and I went back out in the field. In pain? Yeah. Which well, you, you got to keep fighting? Yeah. Guess so. You know, it was, they, they were like they, uh, they were, they needed men. So you go back into combat and then you're wounded a third time. Yeah. That's... <clears throat> That's, uh, I got blowed up. I don't know what it was. It might have, there was a lot of mortars and RPGs, but it, I was shooting and the rifle flew and my hand flew and that. And I looked and there was pieces of stratinol in my arm and everything. And I carried my own morphine. So I gave myself a couple shots, one, two of morphine. And then I started hearing, uh, Chuhoi, G.I., that means give up G.I. And I was in a little bit of opening where the grass was maybe three feet high, and I was laying there. They, I was listening to the voices, and I was in deep pain, but uh, I put it on automatic, and uh, I wasn't going to be captured. I told myself, what, you know, because I knew they would never... I wouldn't go to no prison camp, you know. So I I waited and waited, and then when I seen movement in front of me, I, I sat up on my knees and opened up, and I was lucky. I was lucky, so there was like five of them. You shot them? Yeah, on automatic. Five of them? Yeah, right in front of me. They were coming for you? They were in a straight line. 
they see me get wounded or whatever during the battle because they move in on you. So you were by yourself when they're, well, they're was, saying. Well, there was other guys, but they were spread out. So that's where a guy banished me up in that. And then so when I went, I went to the Hope, the ship Hope. And I was on there for a little while, and then they shipped me out. You know? So what happens to you when you get hit, you lost your the ring finger on your on your right hand. Mm-hmm. That was the most badly damaged part. That, and, and I was... Up your wrist? My wrist, you could see all the scars, and yeah, that's the only part I lost, <laughs> you know. But you lost some measure of function with your right hand, and you're right-handed, right? Oh, yeah, I was, yeah. And did that mean you were going to be taken off the front line? You were going to be, you're not Mm -hmm. going to be fighting anymore? Yeah. Once you get usually something like that, you know, there's guys out there that come back. I I think it's the adrenaline of the battles and and the friendship that you do with people, you know, because we always say a day is a, a minute is a day. You know, an hour is a week, a month is a year. How many years have you been here, you ask people, you know. <laughs> but there's people that come back that don't have a finger or they got scars on them or they've been blowed up. They just, in their mind, they come back to the battle. Survival instinct kicks in, and, and even though your right hand is kind of, as you say, blowed up, mm-hmm. you grab your automatic and... Yeah. Let him have it. Well, I, I I put it in my left hand, and then I still had this finger. Just was my luck. It wasn't skill. It wasn't. I just surprised them when I sat up, and they were they were kind of like looking back and forth to see where I was at. They were gonna. They were. They wanted me to get information or whatever. But but when I sat up so fast, you know. As I was setting up, I, I opened up, so. Do you play that image out in your mind from time to time? Do you still have a vivid oh, yeah. recollection oh, yeah. of that? Oh, yeah. When they go to reunions and see guys I served with, like every second year the cavalry has a reunion. They talk about stuff, you know. But, you know, I'll get real strict real quick and say, don't ever say nothing in front of my wife. Don't ever tell her. Because guys come up and say to her, you know, if, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here, you know. So I, I'm like, yeah, and you ain't going to be here longer if you open your mouth, you know. <laughs> and they just looked at me. And yes, they sir, know, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Yeah, you yeah. know. We talk about stuff. We we don't talk so much about guys that didn't make it. We just talk about things and, you know, and stuff like that. But uh, we don't we don't cry on it. And I got guys that are they're still living the war. And we got other guys that are moody or guys that've been wounded, you know. So it, it's good to see them though. It's good to see them. It's just somebody brings something up and you kind of blow it off. But then you think about it, you can't. It's like, you know, 
things come back to you. I don't think about it. I try not to. My wife's not a violent person. We, we stay away from violent stuff, you know. During your time, you got two bronze stars. Three. Three bronze stars. Three bronze stars. Four. Battles, things I've done. I grab guys that, you know, in different situations and drag them back or do this or do that. And, but I, I never paid attention to that. Never. You weren't in it for the medals. No. You were in it to survive and yeah. to take care of your guys. That's all. That's all I. When I look at those purple hearts and that, I think of the guys. I, uh, my guys. That's what I think about. I don't. Those medals. It's nice, you know, but I'd rather have the guys I was with back or, you know. You didn't talk much about medals. You didn't care much about medals, and most guys, I think, don't. Maybe a few do, but you you didn't. Mm-hmm. But about five years ago, you kind of were interested in maybe recouping some of that, right? What, yeah. What, why, what brought that about? Well, one of my sons, and we have friends in the military, and they was, like, pushing my wife to get me to go, so... I went one day just to talk to this guy, and he was from, uh, he was infantry in Joliet, and he uh, he was in, like, Iraqi freedom and everything. He was a combat vet. We started talking, and he pulled out papers and asked me, can I get proof and this and that? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. And then I thought about the pictures, and I gave him the pictures, and I gave him addresses of people that I served with, and they wrote letters back, documenting, you know, and that. And my wife is the one that changed my life, you know, uh, as far as being mean and tough and, you know. She's from the farms, and she's the kind of person that'll stick with you between, you know, good and bad. And so she pushed me a lot and got me where I am today. So, so yeah, that's why I got, all of a sudden, I got my first medals and, Bronze Star, and they sent me a combat infantry badge. And then years later, I got the second package, and they gave me my two more Bronze Stars and and my Purple uh, Heart. Okay, so now tell me how this arrives at your house. Well... You, You get the first Purple Heart. Yeah. And you have that in your possession. And then the second Purple Heart comes in kind of an unceremonious way. Well, the first one did, too. You get these, uh, like, silver bags from the government, from the VA, your pills and your medicine. And my wife says one day, she says, well, we just got your pills like a week ago, and here's another package of pills. So why are they sending you a double? And I started opening it up, and I seen the case from the medals. And I didn't think it was another, I mean, a Purple Heart in there the first time. And I pulled it out right away, and I looked. But the second time, I opened up the bag, and I just seen the bottom. And I was like, wow, I think I got my second Purple Heart. And it came in the mail, right? came in the mail. It's just dropped off on the stoop out in front? Yeah, that's all. <laughs> just That's how the gov- they do it. So I've been promoting other veterans to go and put the papers in to get any medals they got. And as we speak, 
you have not yet received your third Purple Heart. No. And that's coming presumably in the mail at some point in time, right? Yeah. Well, if I live long enough, you know. <laughs> you know. Well, I know, you know, it's it's something that you're not you're proud of, but you're not really interested in having the medals, but it does mean something to you, doesn't it? Well, it means, yeah, it's it's a I feel like it's respect, a little respect for me. I'm a red, white and blue guy, you know, I'm American flag guy, you know, and I love America, and, you know, it's, with my PTS and my combat thing, I'm like a switch, on and off. I can be the nicest guy in the world one minute, but if you say something or don't respect the flag or that, I can just turn against you real quick. I don't care who you are. I just look, I get in your face, and, but, yeah, the medals mean of respect. That's how I look at it. When you withdrew and you came home after uh, some awful stuff, did did you were you still pretty much withdrawn when you came home? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for years, for years, for years. I was I couldn't hold a regular job. I would go to the job and and uh, I didn't communicate with people. It's you know and I was like, okay, tell me to do this and I'll do it. You know, but I didn't want to talk to you. I didn't want to, you know. So jobs were on and off. Construction was more of run that machine, you know, and get this done and or build this or do that. So. And you were saying that when you had maybe social gatherings, you'd say to somebody else, "Cover me" when you'd go to leave. Yeah, whenever, whenever I. Uh, uh, be with somebody and just say I, I had a turn and get something. I would tell people cover me, and they look at me like, "Are you nuts? What, what are you talking about? Who's coming?" <laughs> they start looking around like, and it made people, you know, like there's something wrong with him. So they kind of bared away from me a lot, you know. When and, did when did you manage to come out of that? Oh, I don't think I ever did. I think I'm, like I said, I'm the switch. One thing about a combat vet, when he hears something happening or or he hears a gunshot, first thing in his mind is to go towards it, to get it in control right now. So that's the other part of me. The other part of me is my wife, the grandkids, you know, the kids, and that that's, that's all good. But my kids... As I get older, my son's kind of sheared away from me because of my violence and attitude and everything. But they're, as I get older, they are got it more under control, and we talk now. And you're still dealing with post-traumatic stress. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wake up, you know, wake up at night and be soaking wet, you know. And, but I'm not violent no more, you know that I I put that on the side. And you paid a hell of a price, didn't you? Put it this way, I wouldn't want you or anybody else to ever go through that. You talk to a lot of people, a lot of veterans, and you tell them of your experience, and you... A little help. bit. And you, a little you, bit. I'm telling you more stuff than... I, yeah, we relate a little bit, you know. 
but you want to help them understand what it's like, and you also want to help them document what they've gone through. The thing when a combat vet meets another combat vet, everybody's a threat to you, you feel, okay, in your mind. So you kind of put your hand out to shake his hand, but that's the thing of saying, you know, okay, don't come in my space unless I let you. So when he says, oh, where'd you serve? And, well, I was in the jungles. Well, so was I. And, and then one story, a little story starts here, a little one. Well, now you kind of let that person into your circle. So then they got a relationship. And what I've been doing a lot is trying to help vets. So I go, you go to VA, you know. I do the honor flight. You know, did you ever put in for benefits? You put in for your medals? You go to... I don't have my medals. Well, I just got mine after 50 years, <laughs> you know, and then they like, really? You know, so it's kind of, for me, it's kind of nice talking to them. I'm not really helping them, I, but I'm encouraging them. You mentioned Honor Flight, and I know you're there and have been there for the mornings and the welcome home since 2008. Yeah, yeah. Since the start of Honor Flight Chicago, you've been there. Yeah, actually, uh, a guy was going, and I was with him the week before, and he's talking about the honor flight, and I said, what the hell is an honor flight? Because I don't go to a lot of uh, parades and all that stuff, you know. And, and he says, oh, yeah, these guys are going to go to Washington to the Morio, and we're going to walk them home. And I was like, eh. He said, why don't you come with me? I so he's asking me, and he said, I don't want to go by myself, so I went with him, and they were talking about how they just started it and everything. And it was pretty good, you know. But, yeah, he encouraged me to go to the honor flight. And then there was so many guys from the Second World War then, in those days, that fought, you know, and just their faces and thanking us and, you know. And, and the guy says, you know, all of a sudden the one guy says, we want you in the flag line. And I went in the flag line, and right after that, one guy and he says, oh, you're a ranger, you lead us. So I let him, and I've been leading the flag line ever since. But you have not yet been on an honor flight. Nope. I and always gave my seat up. Sonny, with three purple hearts, and you haven't been on a flight yet, mm -hmm. as we speak. Yeah. Uh, but you're now signed up to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. It's, uh, I, I, I campaign give speeches and everything about it but i never really because people say well how'd you like it and i well i never went you've they never looked been. at me like what but yeah so when you go you're going to walk up to the wall again i'm sure and touch it and <sighs> that's uh <sighs> that'll be rough but uh i think i should think I should. And look for names of men that you knew mm, that, gone. That, I, I know where they're at. I have other guys that uh, send me all that. I know exactly where they're at. I will go and do what I did before, just salute them and walk away. Well, I might. That'd be a rough decision right then and there. Well, that salute means a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad they honor them in that. Uh, that's great. You know, it's 
I think that it's, uh, I think the kids today uh, need to uh, realize more. That's why I like doing these. I give speeches and stuff to ROTC kids and went and talked to uh, the football teams, they encourage them to be a team and that. These coaches been asking me. I think it's nice and then I walk away and they call me up and say, hey, you know, you got time to do it again, you know. It just kind of encourages the kids to be a team, but, you know, it, it makes me feel good too. I'm honoring them. That's the way I look at it. And you look in their eyes, you know, and I never walk away without going to everyone and shaking their hands, tell them I'm proud of them or, you know, they look good, you know, and it makes me feel good. When you look back at everything you went through, what are you most proud of? Proud of? <laughs> My men, people I served with. That's the way I feel. Hey, thanks for sharing all this. Thank you for interviewing me. It's something different I'm doing now, you know. If I didn't get my Purple Hearts, I would, never would have met you. I would have never been invited to schools and places to speak. And It's so. a new chapter in your life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, something different. You got wisdom. <laughs> you got to share it. Yeah, yeah, try to. Thanks, Sonny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Honor, Thank, Inspire episode. Please consider sharing this podcast and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org.